all that we are and have and hope to be is by your mercy and providence. We thank you for calling us together today. We pray that our time might be well spent as we look into your word. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Our lesson today is in the 16th Psalm. As I, uh, as I consider the Psalms, I wonder how much, how much you know about the Psalms. Uh, perhaps I have underestimated your familiarity with them. And so I'll ask you, I'll ask you a group of questions just uh, out of my curiosity. Uh, what is the psalm of the crucifixion? Did you call out a number? 22. All right. What is the, what is the penitential psalm when David was uh, reproved for the, in the matter of Bathsheba? 51. Uh, What is the uh, resurrection psalm? Okay. What, 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 hold on to your Bible. Our lesson today is the 16th psalm. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust, O my soul. Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. <coughs> the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures 
forevermore. This is one of the Psalms of David. It is entitled Mictam. There are some differences of opinion about what Mictam means. Uh, Dr. Schofield says it means a prayer or meditation. Uh, Dr. Spurgeon says it means that which is mysterious. I have no notion what Mictam means, but this is the title of this song, psalm, and it is used on several others. The significance of this psalm is not left in doubt. You are not at the mercy of my imagination. This is the resurrection psalm, as understood by the apostles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So let me read to you Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And I read in Acts 2, 22, Ye men of Israel, this is Peter speaking on that day, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the, the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, I trust that you, you understand what we have translated here in our King James Version. The word hell does not refer to the place of the of eternal death, the lake of fire. It refers to the grave, to the pit, uh, to the 
place of departed spirits. The sufferings that our Lord did, the sufferings that our Lord did were in the garden and on the cross. When he said, it is finished, he meant exactly what he said, it is finished. And he did not go and roast in the uh, fires of Hades after he was taken from the cross. His punishment was completed there. But here, Peter makes plain that the 16th psalm is the resurrection psalm. Now, Peter is not the only one who said that. The Apostle Paul, in his missionary travels, came to Antioch in Pisidia, and as his custom was, the first place that he went was into the Jewish synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he and Barnabas took their seats and were quiet. In the synagogue, they read from the law and the prophets. And there might be some comment. And then if there were visitors, they were asked if they had anything to say. And this was what happened on that day. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue said, if you have something to say, we will listen. And so Paul took the opportunity and spoke. This is recorded in Acts 13. I will begin reading in verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, <clears throat> I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, 
after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. A powerful sermon, but in it he mentions this 16th Psalm. So the meaning of the psalm is not in doubt. Now in our teaching, we have usually stated that prophecies in the, in the Bible, that prophecies usually have their primary fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment and may contain any, in addition, many seasonable lessons. We have said that. And I think, it, in general, it is what we believe. But there are certain situations in which I cannot find a primary fulfillment, only the ultimate fulfillment. Let me give you an example. The 16th Psalm. I would like for you to think with me as we go through the psalm that this is not David and that he is not talking about any special problems that he encounters. I think that these are all the words of Jesus. Like uh, the three on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the cloud was passed, they saw no man save Jesus only. And in the 16th Psalm, I can only see Jesus. Another example, just to round it out, is Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. I cannot, I cannot find what I would call a primary fulfillment of that. If you say, well, Isaiah going to the prophetess was a primary fulfillment, I have a problem with that. I think there was one, one only who was virgin born, and that was the Son of God. <clears throat> so here... We have, uh, in this 16th Psalm, it's easy to outline. In the first verse, we have the prayer of faith. In verses 2 through 5, we have the avowal or declaration of faith in Jehovah alone. In verses 6 and 7, we have the contentment of his faith in the present and in verses 8 through 11, the joyous confidence of his faith for the future. 
is verse 1, preserve me, O God. You say, well, did the Lord Jesus need preserving? He was in all points tempted like as we are. And he needed, he felt that he needed to be preserved from the evil one. The uh, one of the great names of the Lord, one of the great names of God is spoken by Job in Job 7, verse 20. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee? O thou preserver of men. A great title for God. The preserver of men. And the saints... Jude writes his brief little epistle and he addresses <coughs> his letter to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So we are preserved. <clears throat> the prophet Isaiah recorded one of the great promises in Isaiah 49 verses 7 and 8. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. <clears throat> that promise was remarkably fulfilled in the preservation, preserving of our Savior. He addresses him here, Preserve me, O God, the powerful one. The same, the same name, El, Elohim, or Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachthani. <clears throat> and the, uh, the declaration at the conclusion of the verse, In thee do I put my trust, or... Another way of saying the same thing is, I have taken shelter in thee. As chicks beneath a hen, 
This is a familiar figure in the Psalm of Moses. Psalm 91, verse 4, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. It was the figure that our Lord Jesus used in describing his intense affection for Jerusalem and its children. Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. But here, we, we hear the Lord saying, I have taken shelter in thee. In thee do I put my trust. In verses 2 through 5, <clears throat> he declares his faith in Jehovah alone. In his inmost being, the Lord Jesus bowed himself to obey, to do service to his heavenly Father. And before the throne, he pledged allegiance. At the end of verse 2, Thy goodness extendeth not, my goodness extendeth not to thee. Now this may seem like an obscure statement, uh, and like me, you may wonder, what, what did it mean? What did it mean to him? And I think, I think we, can, we can understand it if we ponder it just a, a minute. It is, it is as if he were saying, you are not enriched by me. The coming of the Redeemer was not occasioned by any need of the great God. Now, you have heard as I have heard, blather. God was lonely, and so he made man. Baloney. Jehovah would have been inconceivably glorious had man never been made. He is indescribably just and merciful. Had the human race perished and no atonement been offered. We need to be clear in our thinking. 
He does not need me. I need him terribly. But the ordinary idea is he got a lot when he got me. And that is the attitude that the Pharisee voiced in the 18th chapter of Luke. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. The truth of the matter is we are all taken out of the common clay. And God is not enriched by any of us. Now, the life work and the death agony of the Son did reflect unparalleled luster upon every attribute of God. And yet the most blessed and infinitely happy God stood in no need of the obedience and death of his son. This was not needful within the Godhead. It was for our sakes that the redemption was undertaken. And not because of any lack or want on the part of the Most High. Elihu, who spoke well of God, says in Job 35, 7, If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Or as the Apostle Paul made it clear to the Athenians assembled in Areopagus, as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I saw there an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the worlds. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. We need a proper view of God if we would undertake to worship him acceptably. This is what we read in Hebrews 12, where those things which cannot be shaken will remain after the shaking is over. And the admonition is, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken or moved, let us have grace 
whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Some of you who are too young to remember can't remember the blasphemy of Jane Russell who was a... Uh, what, what should we call her, buddy? A, a sex icon of another era. Said, oh, you ought to get to know God. He is a living doll. No. But then our notion of him is no better. We think of him as a heavenly Santa Claus who fills our order as soon as it arrives at the North Pole. But we do need we do need a proper view of the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. In verse 3, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Now, again, consider these to be the words of the Lord Jesus. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. And the saints that are in the earth, the ones of us who are still here, partake of the goodness of our great high priest mediatorial work. And by his goodness are made what we are. And here we're denominated the excellent of the earth. We should strive to help each other. Once gone, we cannot help the other by praying for them, by burning a candle for them, by getting some priest to pray for them. No. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10 When they're gone, they have entered into their portion. And here the lowliest believer is termed the excellent of the earth because of the Lord Jesus saying, in whom is all my delight. One of the mysteries, the incomprehensible things that I encounter is why, why should he choose me? You see, there, there, are, there are a lot of things about me that you don't know. I cover them up. 
cleverly concealed them from my best friends. But he knows it all and still has chosen to show mercy to such as I am. Now, the lowliest believer is termed the excellent of the earth. Their own opinion of themselves is not the true measure. It is what he thinks that is the true measure. In verse 4, we have <clears throat> a description of the wicked. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. Now, reading over this verse ought to be a solemn rebuke to those of us who are sluggish in our devotions to the Lord. The wicked hasten after another God. They are zealous where we are tardy and slothful. Their hastening multiplies their sorrow.